Welcome to the Thursday Arts Preview, where the P is parenthetical. I'm your host, E.J. Ionelli. What you're hearing right now is the music of the African Children's Choir, which is performing at various churches in Spokane tonight and through this weekend. We'll hear more about the choir itself and their concerts in a little bit. First, though, let's look at another concert with a philanthropic bent. Tomorrow, the pianist Jim Isaac Chua will be performing a program of works by Chopin, Liszt, Beethoven, Rameau, and other composers at the Bing Crosby Theater on behalf of the Ark of Spokane. The Ark provides services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families, and as it turns out, Isaac has a long history of working with the organization. In fact, just last year, he took part in a similar concert for the Ark of Tri-Cities. Isaac grew up in Richland, Washington, but he now lives overseas. So when we spoke by phone before he flew out, he began by talking about that concert last year in his former hometown. It was a fantastic event because not only were the people there for music, but people were also there to support a really great cause. And I'm sure you're familiar of the ARC's mission statement, which is serving individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families. So it's uh, I'm really fortunate and very honored to work with this fantastic organization again in a different city. And how did that relationship come about in the first place? Was it simply that you were connected through geography, through some Tri-Cities link, or do you have a soft spot for the ARC? Oh, um, it's a combination of uh, all of those things that you mentioned, actually, because in high school I was doing Buddy Club, and uh, they're connected with the ARC. So um, during lunchtime we would have lunch together with members of the ARC and you play games and spend time and get to know each other. But this lady who was working in this uh, buddy club many years later, so last year, she contacted me and she was saying, oh, Isaac, do you remember me from buddy club? I would love to organize a concert together with you. Yeah, to do a benefit concert and hopefully we can raise a lot of money for a very good cause. And how did the concert go, and how was it received by the general public? Oh, the concert went fantastically well. Um, The public loved it. I always try to make sure that the concerts I'm presenting are full of as much variety of music and composers as possible. And I also try to make sure to talk before uh, each of the pieces or each set of the pieces. And was it the success of the Ark of Tri-Cities concert that led you to perform here in Spokane with the Ark of Spokane? Oh, yes. So um, the concert went so well. Um, and then I was talking with the people and they said, oh, uh, I think what you're doing is uh, fantastic and it would be also very nice if you could even work with the other arcs too. And I said, of course, why not? Like, There's nothing <laughs> more satisfying for an artist than to use music to benefit the community. So I jumped at the opportunity. And your program for the upcoming concert with the Arc of Spokane, it includes Liszt, it includes Beethoven, it includes Rameau, uh, as well as Chopin. 
Is that very similar to the program that you performed with the Ark of Tri-Cities? Are you doing almost a mirror concert of that, or is this program slightly different? Oh, this program is almost completely different. So the program which I'm presenting, I'm trying to inspire people's imaginations in terms of their connections with nature. For example, the two pieces of Rameau which I'm playing, uh, Bird Calls and The Hen. And then Fontana will be um, fantasy based on the opera by Bellini, Sonambula. Um, and then and Ravel um, uh, his auntie from Gaspar So it's basically about a water nymph seducing the observer deep into a magical kingdom. And of course, we have the 109 Beethoven, uh, one of Beethoven's last sonatas, and uh, reminiscence of Don Juan, also based on an opera. And I will be also talking in this concert as well before each of the pieces. But I'm trying to demonstrate not only nature, but even the dichotomy in nature. So, for example, you have um, raindrops, prelude and ondine, which is based on water. And then you have human interaction with the operas. And then you also have nature, which is the two pieces of Rameau. And also, for me, the 109 Beethoven Sonata, the opening reminds me a lot of Falling Leaves. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited to bring this program because I feel that people will really get something which can really inspire them. And I think there's a, a performative element here, too, because that Ondine piece is notoriously tricky. So they will also see showmanship, I'm sure. Oh, yes. And the Ondine is tricky, but I have to say that if Ondine is tricky, then Don Juan is like a marathon. <laughs> but I don't want the focus to be on the technical demands, actually. I just want something which transcends sound, something which transcends performance, and it just becomes an experience. And I know that you are also partial to Scarlatti. Is any Scarlatti on the program? Oh, I love Scarlatti. Uh, I I will not play Scarlatti, but maybe if the audience likes me enough, I may play one of his sonatas as an encore. <laughs> so I so I hope uh, people will will really enjoy the concert. So yes. Well, Isaac, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to chat about this. I really really appreciate it and. We're looking forward to having you back in Spokane because this is not the first time you've played at the Bang, is it? Oh, no. Um, it will actually be my fifth time because when I was growing up in the Tri-Cities, I was quite involved in um, Music Fest Northwest, which is a really fantastic organization. And so uh, I have to say that it's like a homecoming concert for me. Great. Well, thanks again, and uh, safe travels in the meantime, and we will see you on the 22nd. Thank you very much, Nikki.
Jim Isaac Chua talking by transatlantic phone call there about his concert this Friday, September 22nd, at the Bing Crosby Theater to benefit the Ark of Spokane. As he mentioned, the program will include works by Chopin, Liszt, Beethoven, Rameau, and it may even include a Scarlatti piece like the one that's playing now, which is his Sonata in G Major. For more background on Isaac, you can visit his website at jimisaacchua.com. And for tickets or more information about tomorrow's concert, head to arc-spokane.org or bingcrosbytheater.com. While Isaac's concert for the Ark of Spokane will benefit individuals and their families right here in Spokane, other nonprofits like Music for Life have an international focus. The organization maintains a program known as the African Children's Choir, which brings together young children from countries like Uganda and helps sponsor their long-term education. The African Children's Choir is currently on a four-month, 50-stop tour across the United States, and it's brought them to the greater Spokane area for a series of concerts. Ahead of their arrival, I spoke by phone with Tina Sipp, who now manages the African Children's Choir. She explained the choir's mission, how the children come to be involved in it, and the difference that it can make in their lives. The African Children's Choir is a faith-based nonprofit organization, and our primary purpose is to provide education for children that would not otherwise have that accessibility. So we are raising money to support education programs for several hundred children each year. Uh, We've worked historically in seven different countries of Africa. Primarily, our work is in Uganda right now, and we have a choir of 20 children, and so they will be really the ambassadors for really hundreds of children back home that also do not have the opportunity to get an education. And in our minds, that means they can't become all that they can be. They're limited simply because of finance. So we stand in the gap, if you would, um, to provide what the children need, education, in order to kind of break that cycle of poverty. That's our hope. So that's kind of the heartbeat of what we do. That is the mission, and the children are wonderful representatives. We do not camp on the needs of the children or what the children don't have. We camp on their dignity, their beauty, and their potential. So that's the, that's the heart. Our motto is helping Africa's most vulnerable children today so they can help Africa tomorrow. And you had mentioned that you are involved in about, I think, seven countries, but primarily Uganda. Are the children who are participating in this choir then predominantly from Uganda, or are they pulled from all seven of those countries? Yes, this group is all from Uganda. Over the years, since 1984, we have had choirs from Kenya, Rwanda, but we've primarily had choirs comprised of children from Uganda, because that's really where our major work has been all of these years. So this choir is all Uganda. We have 20 children, 10 boys, 10 girls, ages 8 to 10. Wow, 8 to 10. And are they selected on their singing ability? No, that's a good question, because they are not. They love to sing, they love to dance, and uh, they pick up the music very, very quickly. They're very, very adept, um, and they love it. They absolutely love it. So we don't audition, quote, we use that term because there's there's not really another term to use, but we audition really to find out what families can we help the most right now. And so 
obviously there's many, many families in that situation, but we do try to find families that this will make a really tremendous impact. So they're selected more on that basis, really the basis of need. And it seems like for these children that it would be a real honor to be picked for this choir. Yes, and I think they grow in that understanding over time. I don't think they understand the full impact of that. They know that they're going to have their education will now be paid through college. So even though the work that they do while they tour funds several hundred children in our education programs, the children that are in the choir, their education is paid through the university level. So they have some idea that, hey, I'm going to get educated. I'm going to be able to help my family. So I think they see it more from that perspective, but they certainly have a great time. And as they age, in fact, we have adults that travel with the children as they tour, kind of as their family on the road. Four of those adults are Ugandan and were choir children when they were younger. So it's really beautiful to hear their stories, and they tell those stories kind of woven through the concert itself. And with the concert itself, what sort of works or what sort of music are they performing? Is it largely traditional African music, or are there some songs that a Western audience might recognize in there as well? Yes, it's both of those. Uh, This particular program is called Just As I Am, and there is a beautiful mix of traditional African music played to the drums a cappella. And then what we've done is we have taken traditional favorite hymns and put them to African rhythms. So a lot of these hymns, like Amazing Grace, Just As I Am, have been recreated with beautiful African rhythms, and so it's really fun. And then they have a drum ensemble. They have a traditional dance that's part of it. They change costume three times. It's very bright, very colorful, very energetic, and just the joy that comes off the stage is what people just speak to all the time, the energy, the joy, the hope. Yeah, and you had mentioned that they're between 8 and 10, so they don't necessarily grasp the wider implications at the outset. But you had also talked about fun, and I imagine that they just have a heck of a lot of fun doing this. (laughs) They do. You know, we uh, at each church that hosts us, we have a number of host families that take two or three children and then one of our adult chaperones. And those host families just make the tour experience. You know, and we're traveling around to so many different states, there's something unique either on the way between two places or, I mean, if we're going to be near Mount Rushmore or the Grand Canyon or, you know, there's all kinds of experiences that they wouldn't get at home. And so it just expands their vision of what could be. And if you could talk to me about some of these past experiences, some of the past participants, when they go back to their homes and their families, Mm. how are they changed? (laughs) Part of the program is to build in them this heart of caring for others, using what's been given to you to bless those around you. And they start retelling some of the lessons that they've learned. They are motivated for school because now they know it's going somewhere. And so they become, I think, more responsible, more definitely more confident. Um, All of the education in Uganda is in English at the boarding schools. And so their English just skyrockets because they're immersed in English. And that is huge. But I think I would hope, and what I've seen is the what is breathed into them in our program. There are so many of our former choir members that have started their own, be it small or medium-sized organizations that are helping other children like they were helped, or they 
Um, I just found out about one today. They're, they've started something with mental health. They've gotten their degree in psychology, started their own organization around mental health issues and helping people. So they've done some great work. They're, they're motivated. They're confident. They're capable. And they have a heart. Well, Tina, I really want to thank you for taking the time out to talk about this today. Absolutely. Yes, well, thank you. Thanks for the great questions. Um, I'm from Spokane, actually. That's my hometown, so hopefully we'll fill all those seats. Yeah, and it'll be a sort of homecoming of sorts for you as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. DJ, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for helping us get the word out. We sure appreciate that. That was Tina Sipp, choir manager for the African Children's Choir. The choir's first local performance on their current national tour was last night at the Suncrest Family Worship Center in Nine Mile Falls, and they have another performance there tonight. Between Friday and Sunday, they'll be at two more Spokane venues, that's Grace Alliance Christian School and Life Roads Church, as well as the Christian Life Assembly Church in St. John. To get exact details on venues, dates, and times, visit africanchildrenschoir.com and click on the Tour Dates tab. Now we check in with another recent Spokane Arts Grant Award recipient. The Shades of Motherhood Network was chosen during this round to receive funding for an in-person and online art gallery featuring art from a collective of Black and BIPOC artists. But what's unique about that is the Shades of Motherhood's focus on childbirth and in particular the inequities and the disparities that often face black mothers and other people of color. Stephanie Courtney, the founder of the Shades of Motherhood, recently came into the studio to offer insight into what some of those inequities are and how her organization is using art to help address them. The Shades of Motherhood was established in 2022, and we are an organization that is focused on maternal health. Um, one of our initiatives that we have been focusing on quite a bit is black mothers. Um, black women are three to four times more likely to die due to pregnancy-related issues than white women. 60% is preventable. This is the CDC numbers. And so when I saw the statistic, I was like, we have to do something about it. Um, at the time, and I still do have the same podcast, it's called Girl Get a Doula. And we um, introduce doulas from all over the country, talk with them. Uh, we are going to be airing our new uh, segment of Girl Get a Doula, and I'm really excited about it. But we learned so much from these doulas from all different cultures and spans of life. And I just was like, we've got to do more. And so a ton of doulas got together and basically said, hey, we'll share our images for you to tell a story of how the power of a doula can actually save a community. Um, and so we had started off with just doulas and then we asked people to say, hey, do you wanna tell your story? So people were sending in images of them being pregnant, breastfeeding, C-sections, vaginal births. Uh, I mean, you name it, it's there. But it's been done in a space where you see a lot of black women. And that is something that I didn't realize that would hit the medical community really hard because many of them had never seen that before. And that wasn't something that I even thought of. And so we started off with 25 pieces and now we have over 49 stories that we get to tell 
um, that people have trusted us with. And um, we have actually set up our exhibit in several locations. But this year for Black Maternal Health Week, which takes place April 11th through the 17th, it was at Carl Maxey Center and the College of Nursing um, at WSU. So I was very excited. And was this exhibit part of that Black Maternal Health Week? Yes, it is. Um, it is one of the main pieces. Uh, Sandy Williams actually was one of the first people to fund this. And I had told her, I said, I don't know if Spokane's ready for this. Like, I think I should go to Seattle. I think I should go somewhere else. And she said, Stephanie, you can do this. And I was like, well, I really don't have any money. And she was like, what do you need? I was like, Um, And she actually paid for the space at Nectar downtown, which is very near and dear to my heart. And we set up our very first art exhibit there where we were able to have people share their birth stories and we were able to share these beautiful images. And there's two things I want to address in a little more detail. Now, I was really intrigued by the statistics that you gave because one I think assumes that motherhood is a universal experience across cultures. Do you run into this misconception a lot where people think that motherhood is equivalent across all cultures? Absolutely. One of the things that I feel like this project has really helped me do is have everyone go back to culture. Why weren't our grandparents having some of the issues that we were having? And it's because they looked at birth very differently. They were able to say, you are transitioning into a new person. You need support. It's okay for you to ask for support. You're not being needy. You're not being over the top. We're going to love on you and make sure that this new transition that you're going through um, is going to be successful. So motherhood is not one hat fits all. And honestly, we can't even say motherhood anymore. We have to say birth because we haven't even talked about how men actually do have postpartum depression and anxiety. And we don't talk enough about that. Um, Research shows within the first span of a child's life, somewhere between 35 to 40 percent of couples are either breaking up, they're having major issues, separation is taking place. This is a major event and we just kind of act like it's it's nothing. So you are absolutely right. It's not a one hat fits all. We've got to figure out what does birth look like in our community and how are we going to embrace it and empower people. And let's pick up that paternal strain in just a minute, but I also wanted to make a distinction. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with what a doula actually is, and maybe is there a a fundamental distinction between doula and midwife? Oh my goodness, great question. So yes, so a doula is a person that supports emotionally and physically. There's actually seven different types of doulas. A midwife is a person that is going to help you through that birthing process. They're doing more of the medical stuff. And some people may say, well, why would you need a doula if you have a midwife? There's a lot of us that are not talking about the psychological transitions that take place when we're in different phases of our life. When you're talking about infertility, which was a big part of my story, and that's how I actually learned about doulas, um, we have postpartum doulas, birth doulas, full spectrum doulas. We have doulas that do adoption, bereavement for someone that's lost a baby, Um, even abortion doulas. Those are individuals that come across in very different spans and they're there to support you across your journey unapologetically. And now let's return to that paternal strain. How is this different 
culturally? Oh, my word. Definitely varies by culture. When we talk about toxic masculinity, when we talk about how people are, especially uh, males who are required to be the breadwinner in all of these different pressures, sometimes we're looking at someone that is going through a lot of depression and we're not realizing that anger is actually depression. It looks different. It's the same thing with black women. When we look at um, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, it looks different in black women. But there's not a lot of research out there that's actually showing this because a lot of the studies that were done were done with white women. And I like to say this because somebody's probably listening and like, well, what about everybody? You know, this is this everybody goes through things like this. We have got to stop meshing all of our stories into one because each story builds solutions. When we focus on one group of people and we find solutions for those group of people, those solutions go out to everyone. And so um, looking at each individual story as its own and ensuring that those stories are going to be heard so we can find real solutions is a powerful thing. And that's the reason why I love talking about postpartum depression in men, because we're not talking about it enough. And we're not even talking about how many single fathers there are. Uh, we have, within the Shades of Motherhood, we have 12 doulas that we are going to be certifying, and they're going through a two-year cohort. But one of our doulas has had two men reach out to her and ask for help for them being single fathers. Mind-blowing. It's one thing when you talk about it, but when you actually hear someone saying, I need help. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. That's where the magic happens. That's where the breakthrough happens. And I think those individual stories, both male and female, brings us back to the art component mm -hmm. of all of this because mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about postpartum depression. We've mm -hmm. talked about birth and the motherhood experience. But there's an art component to this because you did receive the Spokane Art Grant Award. Yes. Yeah. What is this project and how are people going to be able to experience it? Oh, my word. Each year, this project gets bigger and bigger, and it becomes more powerful. And this grant is going to allow us to really open up stories in a very powerful way. It is going to allow us to create spaces where we can engage with all of our senses when it comes to understanding the experiences of people's lives, whether it be loss or birth, or uh, maybe it's even infertility. There's so many places that this funding is going to help with. And sometimes you just need to know there is someone out there that's going through what you're going through. I remember when I was going through infertility and I remember telling somebody I had never met anybody black that dealt with infertility because it was such a shameful thing for someone like me thinking that, oh, I can, I can do this, I can do that, I have to be perfect. But there was this one thing that I couldn't do. And I didn't understand why I couldn't do it. And no one was helping me. And I had to create my own care team. And so when people walk into these spaces, we're going to be able to do more pop-ups um, of art exhibits. We're going to be able to share more stories. We're going to be able to help people tell their stories in creative ways. And most importantly, we'll be able to create these spaces that will allow people to heal and really grow. And in concrete terms, is that going to look like video? Is it going to look like audio? Is it going to be live storytelling? Is it going to be photographs? Is it going to be all of the above? All of the above. Um, we do a lot of art activism. You know, sometimes the loudest cries come from paint and paper. So we'll be looking for different artists to come and be a part. We're also going to be using this funding to fund one of our very first uh, maternal health film festivals. There's tons of people that have brilliant 
small clips, um, documentaries that they have been working on. And these are the solutions that we need surrounding our cities. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming in and talking about this. It's, it's really fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, can I just leave you with a really, really powerful quote that I like to share with everyone? It's by Kimberly Johnston. And she says, when the mother has a child, it's a time for the mother to be mothered. So I thank you so much for having me here. And I hope somebody is mothered and empowered by listening to this piece. Thank you. The Shades of Motherhood founder Stephanie Courtney there talking about her organization and the saga funding they received to support an in-person and online art gallery. As it happens, the Shades of Motherhood Network has a fundraiser coming up next week on Friday, September 29th, and it features R&B violinist Dominique Hammonds. More information about that event and the organization itself is available at theshadesofmotherhoodnetwork.org. And we'll hear from more Saga recipients like Stephanie on next week's show. This has been the Thursday Arts Preview, a show that keeps an eye on the past, present, and future of the art scene throughout the Inland Northwest. If you missed part of this episode, or you want to be sure to catch future episodes, subscribe to the Thursday Arts Preview podcast on major platforms like Spotify and Google and Apple Podcasts. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm EJ Ionelli.